Well, good morning. Uh, Today we begin a new sermon series on the book of James. Uh, Many believe that James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And uh, we don't know a lot about James. There are only a few scriptures in the New Testament that describe to us about James. But what I think we could probably all agree, if you grew up being the brother of Jesus, can't you imagine that more than once in his life, someone said to James, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? And so that's sort of the theme of the next several weeks as we look at this book together. It's actually a letter. Uh, I may refer, refer to it as a letter or as a book interchangeably, but you'll get the idea. Now, one of the first things I want to point out is that James was almost not included in our New Testament. There was some controversy as to whether or not this book should actually be in the Bible. And there's several reasons for that. First of all, if you remember when the scripture was read just a little while ago, it would have added a little credibility to the letter if James had actually said, James, a servant of God and a servant of Jesus Christ, and oh, by the way, I'm his brother. But he doesn't say that at all. So there immediately people began to question, if this really was written by James, the brother of Jesus, then why wouldn't he have said that on the front end? It would have given him instant credibility as the letter made its way out to the then known land. Another reason why the book of James was not, was not uh, immediately adopted into the canon is because it only mentions Jesus twice in the entire letter. And one of them was when he begins the letter today by saying, Jesus, James, a servant of God and a servant of Jesus. It's only mentioned one other time in the entire letter. Another reason why people had problem with the book of James is because it doesn't reference the passion of Jesus at all. You don't read anything in the book of James about the death or the resurrection of Jesus. And in most of the New Testament letters and, and books that we have in our canon, they do mention the passion in some form or fashion, either the death or the resurrection of Jesus. Especially, that's true of the undisputed works in the New Testament. But James never, ever mentions it. And so people began to wonder, if this really was James, the brother of Jesus, why didn't he say he was the brother? Why didn't he mention or talk about Jesus more? Because he would have grown up and known Jesus like anyone else. And why is it that he didn't talk about the crowning moment of Jesus' life when he was crucified for the sins of the world and he resurrected from the dead? And so many people had some questions about it. But eventually, uh, the minds, the powers that be that got together decided to include James in our canon. Uh, Many of them decided that this was not an undisputable, indisputable uh, letter, but that it should be here because it gradually gained acceptance in the early Christian church and in the early Christian movement. And one of the reasons why they decided to put the book of James is that who else could James have been other than the brother of Jesus? If you look in the New Testament, there are really only five other choices of the James that it could have been. There are only five James mentioned in the entire New Testament. Uh, One of them is James, the father of Judas Iscariot. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that the father of Judas is probably not in the running to have a book in the New Testament of our Bible. So we can kind of push him to the side. There's also James mentioned in Mark chapter 15 called James the Younger. James the Younger. I don't know anything else about James except that he was younger. It's the only time that he's mentioned in the New Testament. There are also two Jameses that are listed as a part of the original 12 disciples. You had James, the son of Alphaeus, never mentioned again outside of being included in the listing of the original 12 disciples. We never find his name mentioned again in all of the scriptures. And then there's James, the brother of John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, called the sons of thunder. He, too, was a disciple listed in those original listing of the twelve. But James, throughout the New Testament, is never mentioned independently of his brother John, his fellow son of thunder. And so scholars believe that because James doesn't reference a brother John, that it's probably not that James either. And so all that leaves us with is James, the brother of Jesus. And many scholars believe that this had to have been written by James or one of his disciples. And that despite the fact that James doesn't mention the passion, he doesn't mention the resurrection, despite the fact that he only mentions Jesus twice, and one of those is in the very first sentence of his letter, and despite the fact that he doesn't acknowledge that he is the actual brother of Jesus once you begin to read this letter, you do get the sense that while James may not have always been on the same page with his brother, and that is recorded in Scripture, there are a couple of different times when James and his brothers and his mother thought that Jesus was out of his mind. A couple of different times they were waiting outside when he was teaching things that was perceived to be controversial uh, in the time. Uh, they weren't always on the same page, but if you read this book, you begin to see that some of the same themes that James lifts up were some of the same themes that Jesus lifted up during his ministry. So there is a sense in which maybe though he heard throughout his life, why can't you be more like your brother? The truth is, it appears as if he did become more like his brother because he lifted up some of those same themes in his letter that we're studying. Now, I'm so excited that not only are you going to hear us preach uh, about James, and you're going to hear that reflected in the prayers and in the music that the choir sings, and, um, but you're also studying this in your Christian education settings. And I want you to know that I've been a part of churches before where we were studying a book and then the preacher just got up there and basically regurgitated what we just studied in the book in Sunday school. And so I haven't read the book that you're reading. I don't have any doubt that some of the same themes that the great scholar and theologian N.T. Wright lifts up in the book that you all are studying will also be things that I'll reference here. But I haven't read the book in the hopes that uh, uh, that studying that you're going to do in your Christian education settings will just complement and reinforce and add to what you're going to experience here in worship. And so if you're not a part of a Christian education experience in the church, a small group of some kind, 
and you'd like some information on how you can do that, I'm sure Reverend Martha would be glad to help you find a place that fits for you and works for you and so that you could grow deeper as we grow in this study together over the next several weeks. So with that sort of as the introduction to this letter of James, we're going to pick right up in the first chapter of James where James seems to suggest right off the bat that being a Christian isn't easy. It's not easy. But did you know, have you, do you know that there are actually some preachers out there that do claim that it's easy? Why, if you just follow Jesus, you get rich, you get all these blessings in life, and that life's just one bed of roses after another. You've seen some of those people on TV. You've seen some of their books in the bookstore. You've read about them that they just say, well, if you'll just come to church here, all God wants to do is just bless you. He talks like this right here when he smiles. <laughs> but I'm not going to mention it by name. Um, we, we'd all kind of like that if that were the case, right? I mean, sign me up for the Christianity that makes everything easy, that just makes everything about life just perfect and sweet and wonderful and exciting. But James knows, and you know, and I know, that being a Christian isn't always easy. And James doesn't say, if trials come, if testing comes. James says, when trials come, and when testing comes. And then James wants us to understand why those things happen. And what James wants to make sure that we followers of Jesus realize is that we aren't being tested. We aren't experiencing trials so that we'll fail or so that we'll fall. But James understands testings is not so that we'll fail, but so that living through those tests and those trials that we'll actually succeed. We'll actually grow stronger and deeper in our faith we'll actually grow more dependent upon the God who could be trusted with our lives in the midst of our greatest of joys and in the midst of our lowest of lows. James wants us to know that we are tested and that we experience trials um, not so that we'll fall, but so that we'll soar. So that we will come through those trials and, and tests and and be stronger for it, so that we'll have a better sense that God is with us when life doesn't cooperate, when the blessings don't come. James wants us to know that right off the bat. Now that's counterintuitive for most of us. I know for me, when I'm going through a period of trials and tests, uh, I don't often think about them in the terms of, wow, this is going to make me a better disciple of Jesus one day. In fact, I try to avoid trials. I, I, I try to, to steer clear of them in whatever way that I can. Um, I don't particularly like trials and tests, and I suspect that that's true of you. I mean, I've had some this past week with my mother being in the hospital, and um, I've often said that... Um, and this may be true of your family, but that 
I think my family put the funk in dysfunction. And there's nothing like bringing out that dysfunction than to go through some sort of trial or tribulation or temptation. And so we're in the hospital with my mother in the emergency room and Tommy's trying to be the kind, thoughtful, you know, you catch more flies with honey than anything else. And so um, I was successful. Uh, I was able to keep my mother calm and to keep my brother calm and to deal with everything. Well, I left to come back to Murfreesboro. And on the way home, my brother called and he wanted to give me an update on mother. And then he said, and after you left, the doctor came in. And I told him that the kind, Christ-loving, good guy just left. Now, you better do something to help my mother get better. Well, I won't be going back to the hospital anytime soon. I, I, but trials are going to come. And oftentimes trials bring out the worst in us. Oftentimes we don't want the trials. We don't see how God could use the trials. But what James wants you to know is that when you experience a trial of any time, that it really is meant to help you endure. Not just to grin and bear it, but, but that through those trials that you might come out on the other side actually stronger in your faith. Actually, actually feeling as if God is closer to you than, than you thought God was before. And that's what James wants us to know. But then he sort of throws me this curveball, and perhaps you felt the same as you heard it read this morning, is uh, that he says that we're not supposed to doubt. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, but ask in faith, never doubting, and I'm like, what are you talking about, James? I mean, everybody doubts, right? Everybody has, has moments where they don't feel like that they, that they can truly say, I believe what it is that, that I think I'm supposed to believe. And what I think is going on here is that James is writing to a people who are being persecuted for their faith. You know, they had found out that it was not easy to be a Christian, just like you found out it's not easy to be a Christian. And when you're going through trials and temptations and tests of those kinds, maybe you start to think about, well, why am I even doing this? Why am I even following this God? Why am I beating my head against the wall and, and trying to have faith in a God that makes it so difficult sometimes, at least to me on the surface, to have faith in? And so maybe they're being tempted to go back to their old ways. Maybe they're being tempted to turn away from the newfound faith that they have in Christ. And what James is trying to remember, to help them remember, I think, is that you need to remember the power of God that's been made known to you in so many ways. And you need to remember the desire of God to help you grow deeper in your faith, to help you get through those difficult times of trials and tests. And if you can remember the power of God and you can remember the desire of God, then there is no need to doubt because you trust God in the midst of life going badly to see you through and to help you to become stronger on the other side 
as a result of that adversity. The word that uh, is used here to talk about endurance patiently is the same word that's used in other parts of the New Testament about the animals that one would present to God as a sacrifice. And also, it's the word used to describe priests that would be called upon to do service for God. And that word means un, uh, not without disfiguring or without disqualification. And so, it's as if James is saying that once you go through these periods of suffering, that, that the weaknesses of your faith can actually become stronger that they can actually be strengthened if we approach these trials and tests in this way. So, I wonder, is there anybody here this morning that feels as if they're going through a time of trial or a time of testing? Is there anybody here this morning that has just been thinking, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can handle the weight that I'm carrying. I, I don't sense Christ's peace and presence in my life. I want to invite you to be mindful of God's power and of the ways that God has worked throughout the pages of this book, throughout the story of your life and the lives of those you know. And I want you to hold on to that wonder-working power that you've witnessed and that you've heard about before. And the second thing I want to remind you of is God's desire. And I believe it truly is God's desire that when we experience trials and tests in life, to use those trials and tests not to make us weaker, but to make us stronger. So that on the other side of those trials and those tests, whether it be on this side of eternity or the next, our faith will be stronger and we'll see the hand of God at work in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to know your power and your desire. Sometimes our actions might need to precede our mind catching up to us. So help us just to continue to live out our faith. Even when our heads were questioning and doubting. When these tests come, Lord, give us the grace to see them not as things that are meant to make us fail or fall, but to help us succeed with a stronger faith and to soar. This we pray in Christ.